this episode will consist of topics around domestic abuse, domestic violence and sexual violence. If you require any support or help, please get in contact with your local domestic abuse, sexual violence organisation. In the UK, you can call the National Domestic Helpline on 0808 And if you are listening overseas, please contact your national helpline where support, advice and guidance will be available for you. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Conversation With. This week we are going to discuss the impact of domestic violence and children or domestic violence within a family home and the impact that that has on understandably the victim that is subject to the abuse but also anybody that is living in the home mainly children so we're going to be looking at the topic of family and domestic violence and how we as practitioners can support those children with the trauma that they will be experiencing. If you are a victim of domestic abuse and you have children, there is no shame here. There is no judgment here. There is no finger pointing here. If you feel that you need support, please, please, please reach out. There are a number of agencies that will help you, that will help your child. But hopefully this podcast will just highlight a number of things. I think that when we're wanting to understand domestic and family violence, we have to remember the core concepts of what domestic abuse is about. And we know that it's about power and control and the tactics that a perpetrator will use, such as coercive control, that intimidation, that fear, that power. You have to, we have to remember that children are also experiencing exactly what the adult is. Now, as an adult, if we don't understand what's going on, if we're not aware that our relationship is abusive or it is causing issues, then we have to be aware that children don't have words or understanding of what's going on. And so what often comes to mind for me is imagine living in a climate of fear and what that does to yourself and to think about children or your child living within that climate of fear. And so that lens then gives us another way of looking at how domestic and family violence will impact on children. So how does it impact on their development? How does it impact on their social well-being? How does it impact on their mental health? And so when you start to see children's behaviour, often we can jump to individual explanations around that. We can be quick to pathologise. We can be quick to say that they're delayed. We can be quick to say that they've got ADHD or ADHD or autism. or And that may be true. That may actually be what is happening. But what the domestic violence lens does 
if you understand that climate of fear and what trauma does to children, it gives a whole different perspective of the environmental context in which children are living and having to navigate. I think having that environmental lens allows practitioners to see things very differently and it allows me as a practitioner to understand that children's behaviour can be a result of what is happening at home. And I think that we have to be curious about that and how children will see the world and how they see the world will be very, very different to how an adult will see the world. And so we have to take a step back and put ourselves in what it was like to be a child. If you are old like me, then that we have to I have to go way back in my brain to be able to understand what what a child could be feeling. And actually being a little bit vulnerable here, I am a victim of childhood domestic violence. I saw my mother be in relationships that were not good and I witnessed a lot of violence towards her and as a child how I had to I remember having those feelings of panic and fear about what I'd be coming home from school to but also I had siblings and so I wanted to ensure that my siblings were okay but also having to navigate a really scary world as a child. So when I'm talking about the impact of what domestic violence has on children I'm not just coming from a practitioner level I'm actually coming from that personal place of what it really was like as a child and those feelings so so hopefully this gives it a little bit more clout I guess of not just a practitioner speaking but actually a survivor of such now some children that are being subjected to violence can be very outward in their behaviour, they can have problems at school, for example, or they can be doing everything they can to to stay out of trouble. So that class A student, if you like, always wanting to learn. In my case, school was a safe space. I liked being at school. I liked being away from my family home and one of the tactics that the perpetrator would use is sometimes we were not allowed to go to school. It would be a punishment, I guess. And I think that understanding domestic violence and understanding how perpetrators work, they will go for the thing that you value the most. And for me as a child, it was my education. It was my safe space. It was, I don't have to be around this for very long periods of time. So when I was at school, I was up until I was a, starting to be a rebellious teenager, I was a very studious student. So 
And actually, if we go back, well, I'm in my 40s now, but if we go back 30 odd years ago, we did not, practitioners did not have the knowledge of abuse that we have now. We didn't have podcasts, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have practitioners or government agencies talking about abuse 30 odd years ago. We just didn't. It was a new phenomenon. And it hadn't, that hadn't, domestic violence was never a new thing, but it was a new phenomenon to talk about it. It was a new phenomenon to talk about child safeguarding issues. And actually, I very early in primary school or elementary school, if you're listening abroad, it was it was through play, writing, education that actually issues started to come to the forefront. I get told by many, many parents many things about how their children have been affected by the abuse that they are living with living with i've heard stories about how children will be afraid to go to school for me it was the other way but they would be too afraid to leave their mother they would be afraid to come home from school i i remember walking home from school as a young child and i would have this feeling of what am i coming home to is there going to be another police man there is there going to be an ambulance there is my mother going to have a broken jaw is is my mother going to have a black eye so so for me it wasn't necessarily about leaving her it was about returning home afraid to sleep alone at night I as a as a fully grown woman it was only in my 30s and I'm now in my 40s but it was only in my 30s where I could go to sleep without a TV on or a light on. Now, if we look at that in the entirety of what that actually looks like, and let's unpick that, the abuse that I would have experienced would have been from the age of, well, from the age of dot really, but where I became very much aware of it would have been about five or six. So then we are in my 30s plus where I, I as, a, as a fully grown woman that is living in a safe environment, could not sleep without having some white noise. So that's 35 years plus of a coping strategy. So this stuff does have a long-lasting effect. Many people will have nightmares. They will have undescribable feelings of anxiety and sadness. Their behaviour is going to be very, very different from their peers that are not experiencing abuse at home. They may stop eating as a way of control. So you see teenagers that have developed eating disorders or the other way they're overeating they could start wetting the bed they might might cry or become irritable or become quite angry like I said I was a very studious student I tried to be the best child that I could be in order to avoid being with within a situation that was going to cause me harm 
in actual fact, it really didn't matter what I did or what I didn't do. If a perpetrator wants to abuse, a perpetrator will abuse no matter what that person may or may not be doing. Some will have extreme attachments, be very, very clingy, or even attachments to strangers. There's a whole range of things that that children will go through and that parents have told me about their children. And again, when they become a school age, can be quite problematic. And so it's very easy to label a child as the naughty child or the bully or uh, the ADHD kid. And actually, it could be it could be that. But there could be some other stuff that's going on that's that that a child is trying to articulate, but they don't know how to articulate. The impact of abuse on children is very disruptive. For me, my behaviours, my trauma kind of manifested when I became a teenager. So so you're navigating from being a child to a teen. So you're going through puberty. You're going through all the physical and the social change. You're going through that natural, I guess, pushing of boundaries, that reckless behaviour. Things like promiscuity, things like alcohol abuse, things like drug abuse, things like developing unhealthy habits was hiding a whole range of trauma behaviours. Anxiety can increase. So those are some of the behaviours that, that you may see. Usually the mother may not be noticing the changes or they may notice the changes within their their children if they are still very much within that place of chaos and I do call it chaos because a perpetrator will cause a whirlwind of chaos it may not be so obvious if that person is out of the relationship and everyone within that family home starts to feel safe. It could be that actually they're starting to notice some behaviours within their children. Their mother is wanting to protect her children from that violence, which can be very, very difficult when the, the perpetrators of the men are exercising that coercive control. I've already mentioned that there'll be a lot of risk assessing that is going on on a day-to-day -day basis to get through the day, to manage the partner's behaviour in the best way that she can and will to shield her children from that sometimes. So I've, I've known people where that will never put their baby down because if that baby gets put down and it cries then she's likely to get a slap or a punch um, because the baby is making noise. Now, we know that actually having children that's not being in their cot or having playtime or whatever it may be and constantly in the arms of its mother is going to have some effect. But the mother is protecting her child, but actually what what she's also doing is delaying and again no shame and there's no blame and there's no guilt tripping here 
but actually what is happening where you're physically protecting your child by holding that child, for example, is actually it then delays the development for for that baby. For older children, there will be attempts from them to protect the parent. So it could be that that child is getting in the middle to try and protect the victim. There, there can often be a role reversal where that child then has to take that position of adulthood or growing up way faster than what they should do, that child being hypervigilant. So that child then becomes the parent for that parent, which is really quite confusing for a child. They may they may, for example, feign illnesses to stop them from going to school so that they're with the parent who's experiencing that abuse to limit the effects of the presence of the perpetrator on that day who may or may not be working from home. They may make a decision to stay home and pretend they're sick so that there will be some sort of possibility of stopping the violence happening that day. And if they weren't there or they are very distracted at school, they won't be able to focus on their schoolwork and they will be so worried about what's going on at home that they're just kind of daydreaming, looking out the window, for example, or not being present within the environment that they're in, be that at school or college. Um, it could, and I think that we see it quite a lot, that young boys, when there's conflict, will lash out um, and they may mimic some of the behaviour and the violence that they've seen from often the male perpetrator, um, even though, I, again, very confusing, they really talk and actually really hate what is going on at home. But then they're mimicking the behaviours of what's happening there. So it's a really, really confusing time. I guess that what is that I pick up on a lot of children that are incredibly good at responding within their environment and very good at connecting the dots and understanding what they're seeing. They may not fully understand what it is, but children very quickly seem to grasp the ideas of safety and fairness and what's okay and what's not. But they also have these really complex dilemmas of love, going back to Stockholm Syndrome. Their parents, usually both of them, but they don't necessarily like all the behaviours that they're experiencing and seeing at home or the parent when they visit their new home if there's been a separation. I guess it's pretty evident that their experience of exposure to abuse and harm is often just like being in it themselves. They take it upon themselves and they feel very responsible 
for what's going on. They blame themselves. If I was a good child, if I did this, if I did that, then this wouldn't happen again, this merry-go-round that children, and not just children, but victims go round on a daily basis. Children will link themselves to that, even if they are not directly the target. But children are really clever and really developed and have developed really clever skills and abilities to keep them and their siblings safe and to manage situation and know if it's safe to talk to someone or not and find refuge in really small spaces of their lives and they're really good at bouncing back from those situations. I guess that the word is resilience, that through incredible harm, they develop incredible resilience. It is a lot. It is a lot. And if this is bringing up some stuff, please, please reach out because... You're not alone. And if I have any wisdom that I can impart, people can use their experiences for good. And there is hope. From a child that was in, that grew up around abuse, that experienced her own abuse, got a life, with with hard work has a degree has a has an amazing career has amazing children the environment that you come from doesn't have to be in the environment that you have to stay in i guess is what i'm trying to impart having conversations with parents about how family violence is affecting their children is so important for a number of reasons. It can highlight that the relationship is abusive if the victim is unaware that that they are in an abusive relationship. It ensures that children are visible. It provides a foundation for collaboration around responding to children's mental health and social and emotional well-being. I need to, as a practitioner, collaborate because if I don't, then it's going to do a disjustice to the child, children. We know that violence and abuse can be very damaging for children, but just telling people that isn't going to that isn't necessarily just going to help we have to be child focused and we have to be child inclusive i am pleased i don't think it's necessarily gone far enough but i'm pleased that in the uk that a couple of years ago the law or the definition was changed to recognize that children are victims within their own rights I don't think it goes far enough because the law is 16 and 17 year olds. But what about the 15 and the 14? But it is a step in the right direction. 
So, yeah, this bit heavy, I think. Please, there is no shame. Please don't blame yourself. It is important to get support and help. We have to take the responsibility to, of the victim to the perpetrator. If the perpetrator was not perpetrating abuse, then your children or your child would not be having the effects of what is going on through the trauma. So being in that position where you're blaming yourself for where your child's at and what your child is doing is is not is not the truth. And we as practitioners across the board need to remember that actually the reason why the victim is in our orbit is because of what somebody else has done to them, not for what they've done to themselves. I think that we see it quite often. It's not a criticism of an individual social worker, but I think that the system that that we've got here in the UK, I think we have higher expectations of parenting for mothers than we do with fathers. And often it is the mothers that are experiencing abuse. I will see a mother where the expectation is that they have to do this course or they have to do that course or they have to jump through a number of hoops in order to meet the expectations of services but actually do we ask the same of the perpetrators which often be fathers um are we asking the fathers to take responsibility and accountability for the abuse that he is directing to his partner and to his children um and i think that we expect mothers who have been exposed to violence and abuse to take complete responsibility for what's happening to the child and i think that is wrong um and i categorically think that that is wrong um and i don't think we should be um as mothers taking complete responsibility for what's happening to the child um, on ourselves. We have that responsibility has to be shared and we have to decrease the responsibility for what she's taken on herself. And we need to talk about that. And I think we need to have open discussions, which can be quite challenging at times to be able to redirect the conversation back on the perpetrator. There is support out there for children. There's a number of programs, recovery tools that you can use with your children. And and if you want to know more about that, speak to your local agency where there may be some children work that they develop or have developed within their own service. So, yeah, I felt I felt I really wanted to kind of just share a little bit about that. I could go on and on and on, but I think that we've got a bit of a flavour of what's happening here. So thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves um, and I shall be with you again soon. And you've just listened to this week's episode. I hope that you've enjoyed the conversation this week. Feel free to like, share, subscribe so you don't miss out and I'll see you next time.